Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program as uh, we get set to bring you new paradigms for a new world, new choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and then we're here Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m., bringing you nine different programs, nine different guests uh, talking about uh, where they're coming from and how they are uh, seeing the world as well as how they're making a difference in the lives of themselves and the people around them. We're going to be talking with a gifted storyteller <clears throat> with a uh, delightful sense of humor. We'll see just how funny this guy is. Uh, he is a co-author with his wife as well of a book that we've kind of touched upon this conversation, this subject before, <clears throat> looking for legends. Um, first of all, I want to welcome to our program, Tom Tarantino. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. This is uh, uh, rather uh, interesting uh, in that we on this program, and what's ironic is it's only me. I don't know why I come out plural. I've, I've never quite understood that. Um <clears throat> We talk a lot about legacy as well as this word legends. And there are those who have been labeled legends who, I don't know if you would view it this way, are still alive, a living legend, they will call them. Um, what's your definition of a legend? I guess it would have to be someone we wish we had been. Interesting. We're, it, um, we're too old to have these people be what we want to be when we grow up. But looking back and looking around, these are people we would have loved to have been. Of course, other than ourselves, we're perfectly content with ourselves. Do I wait for your next question? Well, you know, one of the things that I, I think about with my late father, who just passed away about a year ago, um, he did not think that he had much of, uh, he didn't play much of a factor in the raising of his six children. Now, he was not an absentee father. He worked nine to five. Mother would take him to work and bring him home because he couldn't drive. And yet there are more things nowadays that I'm remembering that he has taught me. And I wish that I could have conveyed to him when he was alive. The fact that I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for him. I don't know that I would use the word legend and legendary, you know, that kind of thing. Legacy. He left a great legacy behind, obviously, the six kids. Tell me about uh, looking for legends and the process you went through, you and your wife, in terms of traveling uh, all over the place. Uh, you know, the irony is the four corners of the globe. Well, there are no corners, literally, but nonetheless, tell us uh, uh, the process you went through to to determine who to put in your book. Well, we started out like everybody, we didn't know how to travel. We didn't know what to do. We just stumbled our way through it. 
And as we traveled more and more, we developed a way of traveling. And one of the things was we kept going to all these places and we tried to go as far away and as far out of the way as we could. But where we went to these places, we met, we didn't meet, we found. What's the old line? Most of our best friends are dead. Uh, we found people that captured the spirit of the place and were really, uh, they evolved into the purpose of the trips. And so sooner or later, we weren't looking for places anymore. We were looking for people. Uh, there are places we went. I mean, uh, our last trip, if you will, we were cut off by the pandemic. Last place we went was a place called Stavros Beach. And Stavros Beach is on Crete. It's on the northwestern side of Crete. And it just happens to be the place where Zorba the Greek, if you, or if you will, Anthony Quinn, did the final dance with Tony Bates in the movie Zorba the Greek. Mm -hmm. And we always, he was one of our, he was one of the people that I guess we could say we wish we could be like, but we are. Um, and the key thing there is that the Greeks, the Cretes, have two words for crazy. One word is regular crazy, and the other word is for extreme energy, the spirit of life. And uh, I got a picture of my wife dancing on the beach, which was good. She will stay she, say she was stumbling, but it was good enough for uh, a photograph. And we've just been to lots of different places, uh, found out about people that, frankly, we couldn't believe we didn't already know about. We couldn't believe uh, that they weren't household names. Hmm. Another place we went, Northern Italy. And we came across a fellow named Reinhold Messner. Have you ever heard of him? I can't say as I have. Have you ever heard of the 14 8,000ers? Uh, once again, my history uh, teachers have failed me. Uh, they're the 14 tallest mountains in the world. And they're located in Nepal and Pakistan. And he was the first person to ever climb them all. But there's another mountain climbing paradigm, the Seven Summits. Have you ever heard of the Seven Summits? I'm vaguely familiar, but I, I couldn't define them. Tell us. Tallest mountain on each of the continents. Hmm. So he was the first person to climb both the 14 8,000ers and the Seven Summits. Wow. 
And I, I guess the, I would use the phrase arcane celebrity because we don't have many mountains in the United States. And so most people don't know about mountain climbing in general. Uh, you'll have some in Seattle. You'll have some in Colorado uh, where there are mountains. But this, this guy was tremendous. This guy, you know, here's, here's something we never even dreamed of doing. And boom, done. Have you ever heard of Pablo Neruda? Uh, the only way I know of him is because of what I've read uh, as a uh, poet, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. A Chilean poet, a communist, a rebel rouser, uh, and quite a party boy. <laughs> so, so we had fun going to Chile. He has three amazing houses. He was best friends with Allende. And he, I'm sure you won't recall, but on September 11th, 1973, the Chilean Air Force was called into duty for the first time in the history of the country. And its mission to bomb its own presidential palace. Wow. Because the president, Allende, was a socialist, communist, and there were people who didn't like the way things were going. Pablo Neruda was his ambassador to the rest of the world. St. Petersburg, Russia. Have you ever heard of Anna Akhmatova? Hmm. I'm going to say no, I have not. <laughs> of course. I feel like I'm on a game show here. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Well, but that's what this book is. It's, it's all these people that once you learn about them, you can't believe you didn't know about them. Have you ever heard of the Fram? A Fram? The Fram. The Fram. No. The Fram is a boat that was built in Norway, and it was built with a rounded bottom so that it would get caught up in ice and, if you will, go with the flow. Because scientists in Norway had determined that the North Pole was not a set destination, not land, if you will, but more of an island of ice, which would float over the geographical north. And so Fridjof Nansen, built the boat, got in the boat, and in the late 1890s became the first person who came the closest to the North Pole. Fifteen years later, 
Raoul Amundsen took the same boat to the South Pole. And he was the first person who got to the South Pole. Hmm. But we we don't know him because all we remember is Scott, who died at the South Pole. Uh, so there are people like this, the first person to climb the Matterhorn. Have you ever been to Zermatt? I have not, but we used to have a program on the station called uh, uh, um, Around the World, and one of their favorite programs had to do with focusing on that part of the world, Zermatt, and uh, they had some people on there encouraging people to come travel there. Well, Edward Wimper was the first person to climb the Matterhorn and coming down with six other people, the rope broke and it was the first mountain climbing disaster in history. And it made Zermatt world famous, and it made him world famous. Mm. But he was a little bit, shall we say, stained by the event. And it wasn't until 15 years later that he had another climbing expedition. And this one was to the avenue of the volcanoes in the Republic of the Equator, hmm. Ecuador. I'm curious as to whether you ever had uh, experiences, you and your wife on your, your sojourn, your travels, if you will, uh, that you, as, as intriguing as it might have been, uh, you both may have thought, you know, I don't think uh, coming here was the best idea we've ever had. Actually, I would say that there's one chapter that we don't have in the book, Timbuktu. And we were planning very much to go to Timbuktu because there was a very good story of librarians who were hiding uh, priceless age-old manuscripts from Muslim fundamentalists who wanted to destroy them. But it got a little too unfriendly for Americans to go there. And the story turned out not to be a happy story. And, and what, what happened on our traveling is no matter how great the trip is, it's only two weeks or 10 days mm -hmm. or three weeks. But you can read and you can plan and you can research for it for months. And so, as you might imagine, we've got a, a wonderful travel library. Yeah. And There's one, there's a place, have you ever heard of the 47 Ronin? No. These were 47 samurai mm. whose master was forced 
to commit seppuku, suicide, and who plotted and waited and finally attacked and conquered and killed the man who was responsible for their suicide and cut off his head and took it to his master's grave, turned themselves in, were themselves ordered to commit suicide, and all they wanted was to be buried next to their Lord. We went to the temple where they're all buried right outside of Tokyo. Mm. So I know you're looking for laughs. I'm trying to figure out how I can give them. Uh, hey, uh, laughs or no laughs. What I find intriguing is the fact that, uh, and I've had a minimal travel abroad. Um, I've, I've been on, <laughs> I've been on a cruise, seven day cruise to the, uh, uh, to the Mexican Riviera up and down that uh, coast. I've been to uh, the Caribbean on another cruise. And then my present wife and I flew twice, a total of one month to Ireland. And, uh, we would research the uh, stone circles. We would, uh, go to many of the churches that had no roofs because they were made of wood and they decayed away and so forth. Uh, one of the things that intrigued me about that sojourn in particular was the fact that they buried many of their prominent people within the walls of the churches. I thought that was a rather fascinating thing. So I, I haven't really, you might say I haven't gotten out much, <laughs> but I'm intrigued by, uh, and would cu be curious to know, first of all, um, if you picked up, any of the language of these different places that you went to or is still your main language and your, your um, what's the word unilingual, I guess you might say, or are you bilingual, multilingual uh, you and your wife uh, in order to be able to, to maybe get around a little better, or did you have a translator with you each time? We would have a guide. Um, we stuck to English and I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but we try to make up for it by being big tippers. Okay. Well, you know, you do what you, you we do what you have to do. I know that for example, again, minimal exposure. Uh, thankfully we did not have to learn Gaelic. However, when we got I home, we did get a, 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 a course offline online uh, that, that we worked on. And I, I know a few phrases of Gaelic, but um, I guess the most important aspect of it, as you were traveling, you and your wife and going to these different places, the, uh, your attitude, your demeanor as you were traveling and coming across people who, they didn't understand you. You didn't understand them. Hence your, your guide. Um, and I'm guessing that that attitude or demeanor of curiosity and so forth sort of made up for the, your inability to directly communicate to where they got the impression that you were genuinely interested in where you were and what they were sharing with you. Did you get that impression? Absolutely. One of 
One of our greatest compliments is that nobody thought we were Americans. <laughs> and that's a sad compliment to get, but hey, you know, we're there. We're there to learn. We're there to see what there is. We were there with respect. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to speak the language for people to know that you respect them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you speak the language and you don't speak it the right way, they know that yeah. you don't respect them. You also run the risk if you don't speak it the right way. You may have the the words right, but if the wrong intonation is there, you might start World War Three. <laughs> well, I always I always say that there are two words, there are two two word phrases that sound alike. Mm-hmm. And depending upon how you say them, one can mean the other. Ah. And one of those two word phrases is thank you. Which uh, which language, uh, which country? Or did it does it matter? Doesn't matter. Okay. Thank you. Mm. There's another English two word phrase that can sound just like thank you. And if said the right way, can mean thank you. Mm. I know that that it is also true. This was uh, in an interview that I did with a woman dealing with uh, the subject of uh, doing business in Asia, specifically China. And that you cannot go to China and conduct business the way you do in America. Because if you do, you're, you, you run the risk of getting thrown out of the country because you will have shown great disrespect. And that's huge, uh, both in China as well as Japan and many other of the, the Asian countries. Uh, how did you and your wife, shall we say, put it this way, how did you watch your P's and Q's? I mean, you're, uh, how many con- first of all, how many countries did you travel to in this 25-year period? Do you remember the number? We've been over, we've been to over 50 countries. And how did you keep straight, shall we call it the protocol, uh, so that you didn't, you didn't start an international incident? There's a difference between short-term and long-term profit. Mm -hmm. Short-term profit is when you think of only your position. Long-term profit is when you think of the other person's position first. The short-term profit guys will win the first time around, but they'll never get a reorder. The long-term profit guys who put the other person's position before theirs get the second, third, and fourth call. Mm. All we've ever done is try to consider the other person's position. 
You know, when I was trained for sales, and I'm not a I'm not a a a, a professional salesman by trade. Uh, I, I'm a broadcast producer. Uh, I have sold, but one of the techniques that I was taught was that the the main purpose, and this to me was, uh, it didn't make sense. The main purpose in sales is to establish relationships, and I'm thinking. What? I, I thought the main purpose of a, of sales was to get the sale, get a check or credit card information and process and give them their product or service and then you move on. But what you are saying is just that, that it doesn't matter if you don't get that first bite, so to speak. What kind of an impression did you leave behind? Did you and your wife ever have problems in that regard? And again, some countries have greater respect, if you will, for males as opposed to females, depending upon what region of the world you're in. Uh, in terms of, let's say, your attire, uh, did that really make that much difference? Did you need to adjust in that regard? Again, this kind of going back to protocols. We, number one, we were older people, and all over the world, people tend to give older people a nod of respect. Mm. Number two, we weren't, and we aren't, flashy dressers attempting to be showy or better than you. Mm. But we're also not slobs. And just like you can have two people wearing blue jeans and one person is perfectly normal and respectable and the other person's a slob, you can just tell by the way people dress what they're going to be like. And of course, along with that, I guess you could say we didn't dress like Americans. Mm. I know my wife went in for a job interview just recently and she commented that they really liked my style, but I, I don't have a style. And I said, but that is your style. No style. Now she dresses very well. Don't get me wrong. But again, she doesn't conform. So I, I get what you're saying. What about philosophies? Where do you hail from philosophically, you and your wife? I'd say we're we're a little introverted. We, uh, I guess, I would say that one of the hardest things in the world to be is equal. I would say that nobody votes against you for something you didn't say. Mm -hmm. And I would say we're grateful so that We're not, we're, 
reasonably aggressive, but I would like to think we're endearingly aggressive. Uh, we, we don't overreach. We know that in every single meeting, there has to be something for the other person, or why are they bothering to talk to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, we here's one of my favorite stories. I had a friend who was in business as a supplier of car parts and huge volume production prices were determined by a quarter of a cent. He and his wife went to Venice mm. and he came back and recounted one of his favorite stories, which was they went to take a gondolier ride and the the gond went to take a gondola ride, and the gondolier said that the price was a hundred dollars. And his wife said, "We'll only pay you eighty." And the gondolier said, "I'm sorry, the price is a hundred dollars." And she said, "We'll only pay you eighty." And he he was so proud that his wife had stood her ground on the price that he could only laugh when I said to him, well, wait a second. You've paid thousands of dollars in plane fares to get there. You're staying in a hotel that costs hundreds of dollars a night. And now you're not going to spend Twenty dollars <laughs> on on the reason you went there. So do do we overpay? Of course. Do we like to bargain? Of course. But what I love to do for my wife is I love to buy her necklaces, mm. and over the years. I've taught her that the price of the necklace is both the price of the necklace and the transportation costs. Mm. And in our case, the transportation costs are fives and ten thousands of dollars. So, you know, she has plenty of hundred dollar ten thousand dollar necklaces mm. you know what's where's what's the real price i mean if if we're gonna buy a a lion's tooth and somebody wants 150 for it and we bid them a hundred and they say 140 well, they gave us something. We're pleased to give it to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you don't buy it. Sometimes you do. But 
you do whatever it is you do with respect. Yeah. I've even heard it said that, um, and this was when we were down in, uh, my first wife and I were on a cruise with her family. Uh, it was actually the first time I had ever been out of the country. And um, we were on the beach and, uh, you know, enjoying the ocean. And these people would come up to sell us things. And uh, they said how much the price was. And I said, oh, okay. And and someone walked up to me and said, no, 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 no. You need to haggle. I said, but they told me what the price was. No, no, no. You, you, that's the process that you go through. You, you show them in a manner of speaking disrespect by not haggling. So I come back to the States and I try to haggle. Doesn't work here. Nobody here haggles. <laughs> so it's, it, it, it's very interesting. Uh, and to that end, as, as since we're on the subject that you've, you've alluded to, you traveled with your wife for 25 years, uh, roughly 25 years, correct? Yes. And this was uh, in uh, in what time period are we talking about? Uh, the middle 1990s up until uh, COVID. Okay. Now, because you brought this up, it isn't cheap to travel, let alone in the U.S., let alone abroad. So can you share with us a little bit about uh, what you and your wife have done in those days prior to your traveling about that allowed you to do this? Uh, did you know somebody, uh, you know, because uh, uh, that is fantastic to be able to do that. We worked very hard. We, the line we had was, we worked for f 15 years doing things that you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So now we can do things you couldn't. And we worked very hard. We saved. We were fortunate. Um, we you know, were not inherited people. Uh, we always flew coach until we could afford to sit up in the quarantine section. Um <laughs> And again, one of the mistakes that people make is the failure of imagination. Mm. In, in Philadelphia, everybody likes to go to the Jersey Shore. Well, if you rent a house at the Jersey shore, it's going to cost you 10,000 or $20,000 for a week. Does that sound about right with respect to any beach places in California? I would not be surprised. So for the same $10,000, or $5,000 or $15,000, you can take an economy ticket to Nairobi and go on a week's safari. Same money, just different imagination. For the same money, you can go to Egypt. For the same money, you can go to South America. 
One of our chapters is about a place called El Shatan, which is down at the bottom of South America. And one of our points was you can get there in 24 hours. Hmm. We took an afternoon flight to Miami, an overnight flight to Buenos Aires, switched planes, took the domestic plane down to El Calafate and got a car and arrived in El Chaton in time for dinner. You can go to Hawaii in 24 hours. Now, it did take us 72 hours to, to get to Lhasa in Tibet. But other than that, it's pretty much 24 hours. You're in California. Doesn't take you long to get to Asia. No. You know. Doesn't take long to get to Australia. You come the other way. Well, you pay the price for America and it takes, you know, but still you can get to Europe in 24 hours. Yeah. So, so would you, in your travels, would you say that, uh, and I'm curious as to how many times you might have been uh, delayed and waylaid and so forth on your journey to a particular destination or because of the because of the reason you were traveling, it didn't matter. You were you were you were all you're on the road and it's an adventure. The journey is what's important, not so much the destination. Well, well, right. There's a saying, the adventure doesn't begin until something goes wrong. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, it's it's just how you roll with it. Yeah. Uh, we haven't had we were lucky we didn't miss too many flights. We didn't lose our bags too many times. We we learned when and when not to carry on. Uh, you know, don't carry on if you're going, but I'm sorry, do carry on if you're going. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to carry on for the last flight back. But, you know, they're just little things and, and you save some time here, save some time there. Yeah. But again, it's, it's, it was never really about us. It was about all these various people that we found. And so if you're looking at, you know, for travel techniques, looking for legends is not for you. But if you want to meet, uh, I'll give you a classic one. There were two California Beach Boys. They consider themselves bums. Mm -hmm. They took a van, drove all the way to the bottom of South America and climbed a mountain that had only been climbed two times before. And on the way back, one of them turned to his friend and said, you know, I really like this outdoor stuff. I'm going to create a clothing company that I'm going to name after where we just were. Mm. Patagonia. <laughs> and his 
friend, best friend then, lifelong best friend, said, well, you know, I love this outdoor stuff too. And I've already formed a clothing company that I named after the hardest side of the mountain to climb. Mm. North Face. Wow. And the fellow with North Face then went into his spree, sold it for hundreds of millions, and then dedicated the rest of his life to buying millions and millions of acres in South America for natural parks. Mm. The fellow who founded Patagonia recently sold the company, not sold the company, but transferred the company to a charity where all its profits now go for environmental causes. They were just two beach bums. Mm. In Egypt, we stumbled across the Frenchman who was the first person to translate hieroglyphs. You, you have, I was just going to say, you have created a, quite a community through this book, Looking for Legends. And it sounds to me as it doesn't sound to me like, but it you're stating it rather equivocally that that's really what this was all about is showing our connectedness and our regardless or maybe because of our differences, how similar we really are. And I think that that is a wonderful message uh, that that uh, that you and your wife are putting forth through looking for legends and uh, and and the work that you have done over the, that 25 years and now with promoting the book. Well, and we ask one fundamental question along the way. Mm -hmm. Which would you rather have? Dreams or memories? Hmm. Interesting. I think that I would, uh, I'd rather have memories. I mean, I've got some great ones from Ireland. And I, I would love to go back there. It's one of the, the places that I absolutely love. Uh, I would love to move there. Uh, live there the rest of my days doing the work that I do, uh, talking with people such as yourself, both in person. And I could sit in a pub. As a matter of fact, with that, it was two trips that we took of two weeks each. So I say we were there for a month. <laughs> it took two years to do. But anyway, I could sit in a pub with a glass, a pint of Guinness, and just listen to the people talk. Uh, it would be hard for me not to say a word, but I would work real hard at just sitting there quietly and just listening. And it doesn't matter what they're talking about. I love listening to them speak. They have such a, a beautiful way about their speaking, that, that accent, if you will. Uh, I've never 
been able to comprehend uh, what an American accent really is. But then again, that's because I live in America, so I don't know the difference. But uh, no, memories are, are a wonderful thing. And I definitely, my wife and I, we both still have the dream. Even after, are you ready for this? 20 years this month was the last time we were there. 20 years ago. Oh. There's one place, Marrakesh. Ah. And there's a central square that's just a parking lot during the day. But at night, all the performers come out. All the food stalls come out. You can eat eyeballs. You can eat locusts. You can throw up just thinking about it. <laughs> but all you have to do is be there one night. Mm -hmm. And you'll remember it for the rest of your life. Let me ask you about uh, the choices of locations. Now, you certainly mentioned at the front end of our program about some of the different people, individuals, and you went to these different places where they had occupied. Maybe they climbed that mountain or they wrote whatever it is they wrote in this location, et cetera, et cetera. But beyond that, how did you determine over the 25 year period where you were going to go next? Was it based upon individuals, historic individuals of the 20th century, or maybe it was places you had heard about or seen pictures of and said, we need to go here or we need to go there. All of the above. <laughs> and there Places we went that we went for one reason and we ended up being there for a second. And you just be open, go with the flow, mm. have a plan, but be willing to give it up the minute something else comes along. Mm. And you read, you know, you, I'm just, I'm looking at the list of all the various places we've been. There was somebody in Argentina who wrote the famous, the most famous novel about, a gaucho and that mm. same person was the person who introduced the tango to paris mm. so it we're again we're grateful if mm. if people enjoy the book we'll be happy if they pass it by it won't be the end of the world By the way, we'd mm -hmm. rather have dreams than memories. Ah, okay. Because then that elicits the travel. That elicits the journey. It Do gets you, you up in the morning. Go ahead. 
It gets you up in the morning. Memories. You can just sit. But dreams, you can't. You got to go. Yeah. How has this traveling, this experiencing not only of other cultures, but of individuals you had never met before, didn't know who they were and so forth. How has th that total experience impacted and or affected your philosophy of life? How has it changed? It's made us more comfortable with people. We were much more intimidated at the beginning. We went to Turkey one time and all the street signs in Cyrillic hmm. were very intimidating. And then we went to India where there were beggars who slept on the streets at night, who had their hand out everywhere you went until you learned how to say no. And then we went back to Turkey and we weren't intimidated at all. Mm. So we know and we like to think we know enough to let other people be who they are. And we don't like to impose. Hmm. And your relationship with your wife, the relationship that you two have had, how long have you been married? We've been together in one way, shape, or form <laughs> since 1965. Wow. That's pretty good. Uh, I tell you, I'm 63 right now. And uh, that's that's a long time to uh, to be together. My parents almost made it to 62 years before my father's passing. So uh, congratulations to the two of you for that level of longevity. How uh, how did the two of you come together? Well, that's in chapter one of the book. So I'm not going to answer the question. Okay. You've got to read it. You read it just a little. Folks, you got to pick up a copy of the book, Look for Legends. Uh, let us take you somewhere you've never been before and introduce you to our friends. And uh, I would take it that you have made hundreds, maybe thousands of friends over that 25-year period, and you're still making friends. Well, Richard, you're one, and, and I thank you very much. Well, this has been an interesting conversation, and I am so glad that we've had the opportunity to to talk with you. Uh, and uh, uh, Tom uh, Tarantino is my guest. Now, that last name, is it is it in any way, shape, or form related uh, to anybody within, uh, let's say, the entertainment field? Uh, no, it's not, but perhaps some way it is. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say we're probably a little shyer. Um, mm -hmm. And and to that end, do you see the possibilities of this book being explored in the context of uh, some visual format, some platform? 
I mean, you have a lot of wonderful photographs in the book. What will be, will be. <laughs> Very philosophical of you. Um, I have three final questions that I ask all of my guests at the end of every program. And I'm going to ask you those same three questions. And um, I thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, um, I guess before I ask those three, let me ask you another uh, question in regards to your travels. Do you have any travels upcoming where you uh, plan to continue to explore the planet and its inhabitants? No. Uh, Barbara is, just celebrated her 92nd birthday. Wow. And um, she's just grateful to be here. Mm. Well, my father almost made it to 92. Almost made it. Uh, but before I ask you the three questions, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Nine programs, nine different guests, nine different subjects. We hope that you'll tune in. We are streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We podcast these on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio. We're also on YouTube. We we'll hope that you will subscribe and click notifications so that in the next conversation that's posted, you'll be told, hey, there's a new conversation. Take a listen. We hope you'll do that. And um, if you'd like to support the work that we are doing, We'd greatly appreciate any financial support that you can offer. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And use my email address, richard at richarddugan.com. That's richard at richarddugan.com. We also ask that you spend some time going within to that quiet, peaceful, calm, still place and listen to that still small voice during this, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. And with all of that uh, being said, we now ask those three questions that we ask all of our guests. The first of which is, who is Tom Tarantino? Barbara Scott's loving husband. <laughs> now, you've sort of touched on the answer to this question already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What gets you up out of bed every morning? Dreams. <laughs> and finally, what was your best day? <laughs> I've had some pretty good days. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything more about Barbara. 
So of course, I got it. It's in chapter one. Okay. The day I got into Princeton. Mm. Well, folks, you're no going to have to get... Go ahead. Go ahead. No laugh on that one? Come on. <laughs> well, we encourage you folks to get a copy of the book, Looking for Legends. Uh, it is available, I'm sure, on Amazon. In spite of all of the pictures that are in it, is there uh, an audible version on the horizon? Perhaps. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that as well. Uh, and uh, what website would we want to send people to to find out more about you and your travels uh, and maybe even through that to Amazon uh, pick up a copy of your book? www.lookingforlegends.com All right, folks, you heard him. Lookingforlegends.com is the website. We will be linked to that website as well. Uh, Tom, uh, once again, I thank you so much for giving us this time here on the program. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol. Jeanette, I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy because I am. To my friend Smokey, I'll see you on the other side. And to my dear friend Zorro, aho.